a reading from the book of 1 John. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God, and that, we are, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves, just as He is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that He appeared so that He might take away our sins, and in Him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who are the children of God and who are the children of the de- who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Again, for those who are visiting, a warm welcome. My name is Paul. I am the senior pastor here. It's a joy to have you join us today on this beautiful day. I do. There's the sun right there, right in time to hear from God's word. We're going to be looking at 1 John chapter 3. We've been making our way through the book of 1 John this summer. And this passage today has incredible promise and challenge as well. And so we're going to unpack that over the next few minutes. But before we dive in, would you bow your heads with me as I share a brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to begin by asking everyone this question. Have you ever been lavished in Love. In a story captured by the Washington Post earlier this year, after a season of great tragedy and loss, a girl named Audrey Soap was lavished in love. As written by journalist Sidney Page, for Audrey Soap, the father daughter dance is a big social event and always a highlight of her year. This year, though, as it was drawing near, the 11-year-old was filled with dread. Audrey's father died in March of 2021, and just five weeks later, she also lost her granddad, who would have been her stand-in date to the dance. We had such a horrible year, and she'd been through so much, said Audrey's mom, Holly Soap. Still, Audrey wanted to attend the dance at her local church with all of her friends. So about a month before the event, Soap started brainstorming date options for her daughter. One man came to mind. It seemed improbable that a National Football League player would say yes, 
But there's no harm in asking her daughter's favorite sports star. So Soap, the mom, sent an Instagram message a few days before Christmas to Anthony Harris, a Philadelphia Eagles football player. Said the mom, I knew it was far-fetched, and I didn't know what he was expecting, but I figured at least I'd try. Quote, hey, this is kind of a crazy big ask, and please feel free to say no. But there's this dance at the end of January, she wrote, explaining her daughter's predicament. Is there any way you would consider doing this, she wrote. And guess what happened? To her shock, Harris replied right away. And now given that the football season was still in motion and there was still a chance that his team would make the playoffs, Harris couldn't commit immediately. And yet still he wrote back, if we don't make it, if we don't make it to the playoffs, I'd actually be open to that. So here's how the rest of the story unfolded. When it became clear in mid-January that the football season was over for the Eagles, sorry Eagles fans, Harris kept his word. The NFL player told Soap that he would fly across the country to accompany Audrey to the father-daughter dance at the Fellowship Church in Round Rock, Texas. Furthermore, Harris also insisted on buying Audrey a brand new dress and shoes to wear that night. And he arranged for her to get her hair and makeup done. It was incredibly kind and generous. Here's a picture of that moment. Quote, he spared no expense whatsoever. He just wanted to make sure that she felt special and cared about, said the mom. And in the words of Harris himself, I wanted to try to make it a very unique experience. I wanted her to feel like a princess. And such is what he did. On January 28th, Harris arrived at the Soap's home to pick up Audrey for the dance. She stepped outside wearing her new floral dress and new tan heels and met Harris, her date, for the first time. Here's the picture of that moment. Additionally, here's a picture of the two dancing. I know, amen. <laughs> According to the article, Harris and Audrey danced and laughed and had a blast together for several hours that evening. And you know what? I'm sure Audrey's life will never be the same. That night, you see, Audrey Soap was lavished in love. She was the target, the recipient, the beneficiary of an undeserved and unlimited kindness that no one ever expected. And I've got to admit, I've read the article several times and almost every time I've shed a tear. He spared no expense whatsoever. He just wanted to make sure she felt special and cared about, said the mom. And in the words of Harris himself, I wanted her to feel like a princess. Wow, right? Now, turning our attention to our passage for today, believe it or not, this is the same kind of love we're told God has poured out on you and on me. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, we read 
In the first verse of our passage, God didn't just give it. He didn't just send it. He didn't just extend it. No, God the Father did what? Lavish his great love on us. And according to the scriptures, once you get this, once you receive this, once it lands in you, it changes everything. Yeah, I know. Yay. <laughs> Ivan, do you know you're loved today? Buffy, do you know you are loved today? Leo, do you know that you are loved today? God loves you, not just a little bit, but lavishly today. And that's what we're going to be exploring together over the next few minutes. So are you ready to dive into God's word together? Can I get an amen? Let's do this. The big idea from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 is this. The measure by which we grasp God's lavish love will determine the manner in which we live. The measure by which we grasp God's lavish love will determine the measure by which we live or in which we live. And we'll slice this into two points. Point point one, measure God's love. And point two, let God's love, lavish love, determine how you will live. So let's get started. Point one, measure God's love. The passage begins, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called what? Children of God. And that is what we are. The reason does, the world does not know us is it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be, he has not yet, excuse me, it has not been, yet been known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, story. Another illustration. In our home, there is one thing that will spike or stoke controversy immediately. And you, do you know what that is? Food? Yeah, that's part of it. <laughs> the pressure. No, it's how tall our kids are, right? We grow giants. I know I've shared some of this before, but it's how tall our kids are. This is a big point of pride and controversy in our home. Here's why. Every single one of our kids, including our youngest, Boo-Boo, Sailor, every one of them plays basketball. And while many of you might not know this, the NBA and college teams, they lie about the height of their players. Did you know that? That might be saying it too strongly. But did you know that the official measurements in the NBA in college ranks include the players actually in their shoes? Seriously. Thus, a player like Paulo Bancaro that was just drafted by the best NBA franchise in the history of sports, your Orlando, my Orlando Magic, Carly's like, why do you follow this team? There's hope in Orlando, Carly. When you draft Paulo Bancaro, it says he's 6'10", where in reality, it's most likely he's around 6'8 because of the shoes. That's kind of interesting, Right? Well, guess what? That's not how measurements work in our home. We're all natural, baby. Listen, <laughs> Caden's told me and told many of you he's 6'9". Blaze has been lying through his teeth for years. He says he's 6'5". I used to be 6'5". I'm shrinking, and he's shorter than me. So one day, a couple weeks ago, I said, let's take our shoes off and get the official measurements. So 
I stood Caden specifically against the, the doorway, right? And um, he's in his socks. And I, I got to admit, it was really hard to take his measurements, right? And uh, because I had to get on my tippy toes. In fact, no one else in our family could reach that high and have a level playing field. So I got up there. And do you know how tall Caden is officially by the Sorensen International Measurements? Six feet, eight and a half. He'd say half. Six, eight and a half inches tall. He's not only smart and kind and wonderful, but he's tall, right? That's tall. So why do I share this? Well, if it was hard for me to measure Caden's height, it'll be extremely hard for us to measure God's love. To borrow from the late Reverend Gaston Foote, attempting to measure God's love is like trying to measure the content of the ocean with a teacup or making a personal inspection of the known universe. Known universe. It's like setting up a yardstick to see how tall God really is or using a tape measure to determine the breadth of his reach. In other words, it's impossible. God's love is too vast for us to fully comprehend and appreciate. Still, the Apostle Paul, encouraging the church in Ephesus, wrote these words. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. Thus, listen, friends, if we want to measure God's love and be filled with all of his fullness, Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, we need to look to Jesus. We need to understand that in Jesus, there is no length to which God did not go, and there's no length to which God would not go to extend these words to you and to me, Brandon. I love you. Wes, I love you. Amen. Right, Dylan, God says, I love you. And I hope you see that and hear that in our passage today. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love, you see, knows no bounds and has no limits. And now allow me to add a couple other elements to this love that we see in our passage God's love is also foreign and forever. What do I mean by foreign? Well, we're going to unpack that. Do we have any lay theologians in the room? Just give me a wink. Give me a wink. Weston, we have some lay theologians in the room. If you like historic languages, there's one word that jumps out if you start to study and unpack this passage. It's the word potapen. Potapen. And it means from what country or of what country. And frankly, translators don't know what to do with this word. Often they translate it with uh, what great or how great a love the Father has for us in verse 1. But there's a much fuller definition here. According to theologian David Allen, had you lived in the first century in a Greek seaport town, you might one day be about your business and suddenly there would be a rustle amongst the people down on the docks. And word would spread around the town that a new ship was heading into port. People would move down to the docks and look out at the horizon at the approaching ship and by the very sail configuration 
They could tell whether the ship was from their own country or a foreign nation. You would hear people asking in Greek, Potapen, Potapen, which again literally means of what country? And they'd wonder, what new people are coming to visit? What might we learn from them? It's the same word, friends, that we see used in Matthew chapter 8 after Jesus calms a wicked storm. Remember that story? Quote, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this or where is he from? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Thus, this word potapen carries excitement, curiosity, awe, and respect. Why? Because in our passage and other passages, it's a foreign kind of intervention or love. A love from God our Father, which is directly from the heavens above. May we see what great or powerful or unexpected or otherworldly love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. God's love is foreign in that it's from above. I hope you see that and maybe sense that in your life today. It's spectacular. And it's not only foreign, it's forever. The passage, again, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, we read, that we should be called children of God. That is what we are. And then skipping down, dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. Okay, Jelena, what's the most important question here in life that we need to ask? Some would say, it's this, how do I see or view God? But I think it's a different question. I think it's this question. How does God see me? How does God see us? And you know what? In Jesus, God views us as his kids. And the truth is, this took me a long time to accept and understand. For years, Listen, type A's, for years, even after becoming a Christian, I, stri I strived greatly to prove myself to God. Perhaps you can relate. I'd wake up early, and I mean very early, to try to spend about three hours in prayer and in the scriptures, even as a young adult. Then I'd run from service opportunity to service opportunity, trying to check some imaginary do-good box. And next, I'd not only go to church, but I'd sit where at church? In the front row. And listen, lastly, I'd beat myself up when I messed up or screwed up, thinking that I somehow was less than and not worthy of God's love. Can any of you relate to that today? Finally, one day in my exhausted state, I came across a quote that changed my life. I believe it comes from John Wesley, the late John Wesley, but I Never writ, wrote down the source. Either way, here's the quote. I used to be a slave of faith who could be bought or sold according to his actions. Now I'm a son of faith and I am secure. I used to be a slave of faith who could be bought or sold according to his actions. Now I am a son of faith and I'm secure. And you see, friends, 
When God says that we are his kids, it's not because we've done something to deserve that distinction or earn that title. It's because he's chosen to bestow that blessing out of his lavish kind of love on us. Just like Audrey in her opening story, we're simply the recipients of someone's extravagant love. Additionally, please listen, from a biblical perspective, this is important. The legitimacy and permanency of our sonship or daughtership is not based on our performance or some spiritual scorecard we might create or others might create for us. No, the legitimacy and permanency of our sonship and daughtership is also based on the Lord's lavish and otherworldly love. To quote the message, what marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. That's who we really are. But that's also why the world doesn't recognize us or take us seriously because it has no idea who he is or what he's up to. But friends, that's exactly who we are, children of God. And that's only the beginning we read. Boom. God's love is not only foreign, it's powerful in that it's what? It's permanent. It's forever. In Jesus, we are secure as God's kids. And once that hits, it changes everything. Changes everything. This leads us to point two. Let God's lavish love determine how you'll live. Our passage continues. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. And then skipping down to the end of our passage. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what's right is not God's child. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Okay, that's pretty intense, right? So what's going on here? Well, I'd like to offer up another story. A few weeks ago, I went to see the new Top Gun movie called Top Gun Maverick. Anyone see the new Top Gun? Raise your hand. Okay, audience participation, that's good. Listen, that movie's good. And this is coming from someone who didn't particularly like Um, the first movie, and doesn't particularly love certain actors, but I digress. (laughs) So I went to see the new Top Gun. So I went and saw the movie, and shortly thereafter, at my gym, John, we work out at the same gym, at our gym, I started noticing something right after the movie came out. What do you think I noticed? I started noticing guys in their late teens to early 40s growing mustaches like the star of the movie, Bradley Rooster Bradshaw. Anyone else notice these recent mustache popping? popping? That's, that's why. I think that's why. It seems around Charleston, we have a lot of dudes that want to be heroes. Listen, returning to our passage, is John calling for us to be super Christians or heroes here? Is he, is he calling for us to be like roosters in the name of Jesus? No, he is not. 
And no, do we, we do not need to be like Rooster. In fact, in the biblical narrative, there's only one hero in the story, and his name is Jesus. However, what John is getting at here, really warning us about in our passage, is that there is, in fact, a battle between good and evil in the world, and none of us are neutral parties. Moreover, none of our habits are neutral habits. Yes, John would uh, says we have full assurance that we're secure in Jesus when we place our trust in him. Yet John also wants us to know that there's an enemy out there seeking to fool and destroy you and me, seeking to fool and destroy God's family known as the church. And John calls this adversary the devil or the antichrist. Now, if you weren't here last week and you're interested in more on this topic, I preached on this topic in depth, so I invite you to go back and listen to last week's podcast. Returning to our passage, according to John, if we know the love of God and all Jesus came to do, including forgive us for our sins, and if we know the love of God and all Jesus came to destroy, that is sin and shame and death itself, as followers of Jesus, we will naturally trust Jesus with our choices and our affections. That makes sense, right? We'll love what he loves and we'll hate what he hates, sin itself. Listen, light always will expel the darkness. And as we walk with Jesus, not in perfection, but through a life-giving connection, the darkness and sin in our lives will soon lose their place. It's like a candle in the darkness. Don't put down the candle, friends. As one commentator put it, as Jesus' followers, we'll end up in a place where we'll be no more indifferent to sin than we would be to rattlesnakes in our house. When I read that, I was like, ah, that makes sense to me. Let me repeat that. As followers of Jesus, we'll end up in a place where we'll be no more indifferent to sin than we would be to rattlesnakes in our house. I don't know about you, but I don't want to keep rattlesnakes at our house. John would tell us, get rid of them, for they embody the very reason behind Jesus' death. Now to wrap all this up, let me share this life-changing truth again. Hayden, you are loved. Christy, you are loved. Friends, you are loved. And God doesn't just kind of love you. He lavishly loves you today. How do we know, Pastor? We know this because of Jesus. The love offered to us in Jesus is not only otherworldly and foreign, it's forever. It's forever. In Jesus, we become God's kids. And this truth is not only meant to bring us joy, it's meant to bring us wisdom in how we actually live. Lasting, lavish love does that. It holds us close and it holds us true. Friends, the measure by which we grasp God's lavish love will determine the manner in which we live. So here's the invitation. Trust in God's lavish love in your life today above all other affections and choices, people and things. Trust in God's lavish love as found in Jesus today. You, Andy, are loved. 
My father is rich in houses and lands. He holdeth the wealth of the world in his hands. Of rubies and diamonds, of silver and gold, his coffers are full. He's, he has riches untold. My father's own son, the savior of men, once wandered over the earth as the poorest of them, but now he is reigning forever on high and will give me a home in heaven by and by. Once was an outcast stranger on earth, a sinner by choice, an alien by birth, but I've been adopted, my name's written down, an heir to a mansion, a robe and a crown, a tent or a cottage, why should I care? They're building a palace for me over there. Though exiled from home, yet still I may sing, all glory to God, I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king, a child of the king. With Jesus, my savior, I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king, a child of the king. With Jesus, my savior, I'm a child of the king. Let that sink into the very fiber of your soul, to the marrow of your bones today, and let it change everything. Let us pray. God, we thank you for your lavish kind of love that you extended to us, that you showered us with, you saved us with through Jesus. Saturate our lives with this love. Turn our affections fully to you. Keep us under the shadow of your wings forever. May no lie and distraction come against us or this church. We pray this for our good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.